This is Unsuitable with Mary B. Seyfried, Episode 5.7, Loss, Rest, and Asking for What You Need. I'm your host, Mary B., and this is a podcast where I interview single Christians about their lives and faith. Today's episode features Carla Hayden. Carla is passionate about mentoring and discipling young people, whether young in age or young in their faith to live from their core identity. Affectionately known as Mama Hayden or Clarity Carla, she hosts virtual Mentoring with Mama and Coffee with Carla sessions, where she uses her gifts of teaching, communication, coaching, and hospitality to help individuals and small groups lay solid biblical foundations in their lives through the practical application of the word. In this episode, You'll hear about how Carla learned to trust God through loss and uncertainty, how to ask for what she needs, how to take a quarterly personal retreat, and how to care for people going through divorce. I can't wait for you to hear from Carla, so let's get to it. Hi, Carla. Hi, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. Oh, I'm so excited to have you, especially we are recording the day after election day. So it's definitely a good time to be having conversations about relational wellness and spirituality and all sorts of things. I agree. And, And to talk about hopeful things. Yes, hopeful things. We need some hopeful things for sure. Speaking of hope, you and I met through Hope Writers. I would love for you to just take a little bit of time here at the front end to help people orient themselves to who you are. Maybe you can talk about your role at Hope Writers and that kind of thing. Yeah. So Hope Writers is an online membership community for writers where we help people in all different stage of their writing journey balance the art and craft of writing with the business of publishing. And I've had the great fortune to join that team that helps to support writers. And my role with them is I am the chief operating officer slash integrator. So what that means is that I not only handle operational functions of the business, kind of those behind the scene things that keep the lights on and keep everything moving forward, but we are a small but mighty remote team. And so our team members are based in 23 different states, and we even have one international team member. And so my job as an integrator is just to make sure that I'm harmoniously integrating all of the different functions of our company. So that's what I get to do. Awesome. I love it. I love it. And I love Hope Writers as well. So you came to Hope Writers initially as a writer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I I found Hope Writers, I think like most people, I was following someone on some social media platform and they Mm -hmm. talked about Hope Writers and I was like, what is this? And Mm -hmm. so I ended up down the rabbit trail that that we do on social media (laughs) and Hope Writers was hosting a month-long writing challenge. And I Mm -hmm. thought, well, this is a great idea. 
And so I signed up for the writing challenge, of course, true to some perfectionistic (laughs) tendencies. I was like, well, I'm not ready to post all of these things every (laughs) single day. Um, That was very terrifying, which is very normal for a stage one writer. But I loved the idea. And I actually did the challenge for myself just in my own like journal and quiet time. But as a result of that, I ended up signing up for their mailing list. And so I was getting the different opportunities that they had to become a member. They offered at one point um, what they called a summit where they gave you access to their Tuesday teachers. And one of the teachers was Beth Moore, who has had an incredible impact on my life over the last 20 years. And so I was like, wow, what is this organization? Mm. And one day I actually got an email. It's actually, it's a funny story because for some reason, all of a sudden the Hope Writer emails were ending up in my junk folder. And so one day I was taking a court, I take a quarterly personal retreat. Um, mm-hmm. and I was on this retreat in January of 2020 And I had just finished praying and asking the Lord for clarity and direction because I knew that my time in the assignment that I was in, in the job that I was in, was coming to an end. I didn't know when. I didn't know how. I just knew that it was. And so I felt like I was coming up to a fork in the road and thought, okay, well, I could go one direction, which would provide this type of income and lifestyle for me, or I could kind of take the plunge and go a different direction, which would just be okay, but it wouldn't really challenge me. And I, and I just really needed some clarity about that. And so that's Mm -hmm. what I prayed for. And true to form on these retreats, I wanted to make sure that I was unplugged um, so that I could really just have some time away. And I thought, I better check my email one more time just to make sure there isn't anything urgent for me to address before I go completely off the grid. Um, And I checked it and then I felt this urge to check my junk mail, which I I mean, is just such a strange thing in the grand scheme of all things. But there it was in my junk email. And the subject line was, we are hiring chief operating officer. And all I could see was the first line of the email. And it said, we need your help, Carla. We are searching dot, dot, dot. And so I opened that email. I read through their brief description. I clicked the link that took me to their hiring page. And I read more about what they were looking for. And they had some kind of rhetorical questions. You know, do you answer yes to this, this, and this? And it was like a list of, I don't know, five to seven things. And I, Mm -hmm. in my out loud voice, was like, yes. Yes, those thi- yes, how is this possible that this is actually a job that I it's a dream job that I could not have put into words. And I thought, mm. okay, well what's the harm? I will apply and we'll go from there. And I would continue to get the emails saying, "Congratulations, you've made it to the next round. Congratulations, you've made it to the, you know, final round." And as it turned out, my assignment with that current job ended at the beginning of March. And I got an email from them at the end of March saying, we'd like to hire you. And as it turns out, there were over 950 applicants for the job. What? (laughs) Yes. And so it really was just a testimony to just being in the assignment that God has for me, because I've talked with Brian and Emily and Gary, who are the founders, Mm -hmm. and we've talked about this experience so much. I mean, it's 950 people. If you blink, you're going to miss me. I mean, I really was a needle in a haystack for them. Um, But it was a job that was 
I believe literally and divinely created for me. Mm-hmm. And I've been with them now at the time of this recording, I've been with them for six months and it it's like a hand in a glove. <laughs> we work really well together as a team. So that is bonkers. First of all, 950 or whatever it was, that is yeah. so many humans. And the fact that you were like able to kind of make it through all of those steps is like, yeah, the odds of that are, I mean, obviously you are a very qualified candidate or you would not have made it through, but still it can seem like a very daunting number for sure. Very. And the experience of it from my end, I mean, I, I can look back now and see how that all came together, but as I was walking through it, that's a very scary experience, not just the interview process, but to know that your current assignment is coming to an end and then to not have that next assignment yet in view. The sensation for me was like being a trapeze artist that I had let Mm -hmm. go of one bar and the other bar hadn't yet swung toward me. And so in that season of time, it was a good two to three weeks where I was without employment and without income. But in that period of time, as I was praying through that, you know, and really just confessing my fears to God, he gave me this picture, um, again, of the trapeze artist, but he said, you know, you can get caught up in your fear of free falling, or you can marvel at the miracle of being Hmm. in flight right now. And it was really a choice. And that's actually what I've continued to hold on to because it's, Anytime I think we start something new, even if it's something we have a little bit of experience in, it can be very daunting. There's there's new team members to get to know. It's a new company, a new industry. And so a lot of times that uncertainty can have the tendency to swallow you whole. And so God's been really gracious to give me what I call assignment scriptures. And so anytime I've started a new project or a new job, He's given me a very specific passage of scripture to preach to myself when I feel those moments of uncertainty and fear. That is so interesting. I would like to jump back just a scotch and ask a little bit about your quarterly personal retreats. Yeah. I started taking them over a year ago now. And honestly, it came out of a place of necessity more than preparation. I kind of call it more of uh, more of like an emergency rather than maintenance. I had been experiencing some health issues and it was pretty much prescribed by my doctor and my holistic health practitioner, like you need to slow down. And I don't know how familiar you or your audience is as far as the Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram eight. And so on the one hand, I've got a lot of grit and I can push through a lot. On the other hand, I've got a lot of grit and I can push through a lot (laughs) and the way that that shows up in my life is that sometimes I'm not the best at taking care of myself. And Mm -hmm. I can tend to ignore certain signs and and signals along the way. And I think that that's what had happened. I had been through a number of years of having to navigate life as a single person new. That was a new season for me. And so just out of necessity, I just kept going and going and going, but I had reached the point where it was impacting my health. And so I thought, okay, well, this is something that I'm going to have to adjust because otherwise this could get worse. It's a lot like a car. You know, if you take it for Mm. regular maintenance, oil changes and tire rotations and fuel, then your car is going to last a lot longer 
versus waiting for your transmission to fall out and then realizing, oh, this is very expensive (laughs) and time consuming. And I could have just handled this a little bit along the way. And so I ended up taking this quarterly retreat. Well, I didn't know it was going to be quarterly at the time I took a retreat. (laughs) Right. I found a cute little Airbnb that was just an hour and a half away Hmm. because I was actually talking to, I have a wonderful biblical counselor that I've been seeing for probably the last five to six years now. Mm -hmm. And he had asked me, when was the last time you took a vacation and you did nothing? And Mm -hmm. I stared at him like he was speaking a foreign language. I was, mm-hmm. I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. And he explained to me that even though my doctors were telling me that I needed to rest, he said, you cannot actually rest until you relax first. And yeah. he said, there's a progression to healing and you first have to relax and then you can rest and then you can get refocused and, and, be refreshed. And I thought, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. I think that was the missing element, the puzzle piece of why this whole just rest wasn't working for me. And so I thought, well, my ideal relaxation would be to go to a beach and, you know, have a, have a condo on the beach for a week, but I live in Indianapolis and we are a landlocked (laughs) city (laughs) and a beach trip is not a day trip. And I thought, well, that's not practical or sustainable for me. And I thought, well, one of the reasons I have a hard time relaxing on vacation is because I want to make the most of it and I don't want to waste time or money going someplace and not seeing anything. And so I think the solution for me is to go somewhere local where I'm not at home because I'll be distracted by the needs at home, but it's close enough where I don't feel the need to go out and sightsee and I will be just okay staying indoors and, or doing whatever it is that I needed to do. And so I found this cute little Airbnb about an hour and a half away and drove up there and spent two nights and three days in this little shed. It's called the tiny shed in Fort Wayne, Indiana, if anybody's interested. (laughs) And I just brought all my tools. I brought my laptop. I brought my Bible. I brought books. I brought a journal. I brought all the things, but I really didn't have an agenda for myself. Hmm. And that first retreat, I felt like I was an infant. I literally slept and cried (laughs) for two and a half days. And I wasn't expecting that. And I had no idea that I had that much built up. And by the end of the retreat, I was finally able to think a little bit more clearly and journal out some things and and kind of get to a place where at least my mind and my body weren't running a million miles an hour. But what I realized was, oh, I need to do this regularly. This was so yeah. beneficial. And so I booked another one before I even left. I booked my time a th- three months later because I thought, well, I, I can handle this. I can handle $100 to $150 every three months. I can handle mm-hmm taking a weekend away, taking maybe one day off of work on, on a Friday, I can handle that. That's doable. I, I can't handle a cruise or, you know, a trip three States, five States away yeah. on a regular basis, but this I can do. And so since then I've taken them quarterly and I bring all my tools, like I said, but I leave the agenda up to God. And so I, every retreat has been different. Every single one. <laughs> I bring my essential oils diffuser. I bring a a portable speaker with me. I have my Spotify playlists. And so I I bring all the things to be prepared, but I really just let him lead the weekend. And sometimes he 
wants to address certain areas in my life where I need to repent and not because I'm in necessarily bad things, but, but just the way that I view myself or my work or my assignments. And sometimes they're just weekends to rest and read and, and kind of just dream. That was one, one of the retreats I took He just asked me in my heart, why don't you dream anymore? And I was Mm. stunned (laughs) because I was like, well, I think I don't want to be disappointed. And that was a real turning point for me. Mm. So yeah, they're different every time. And sometimes I go out and I check out local coffee shops. And then sometimes I just pack the equivalent of a charcuterie board and a bottle of wine. And then I just kind of nosh on that all weekend. (laughs) So it just depends. (laughs) I love that. I love how fluid it is. And it sounds like you have... Like you make sure you're prepared, but you don't have like a big structure or plan that you're like, this is what I'm going to do. But you also make sure you have what you need depending on where God is going to lead you in that time. Absolutely. And that's huge for me. Again, I think being a single person and being an Enneagram 8 my and being a leader in a company, my life is always about being in charge, always having an agenda, always having a plan. And so part of these retreats is God loving me well and me learning how to receive his love by surrendering the time and the agenda and really just committing it to him because God will be faithful to show up. Yeah. I'm interested in something you said when you were talking about the need that you felt for these quarterly personal retreats where you kind of ignore the signs that you need to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's something that kind of permeates your life versus being particular to work, for example? A a lot. I think so. Um, uh, So I'm a mom. I have three young adult children. And I think just my life in general, like I said, my personality type and my roles, the different roles that I play in life, I haven't been in a place where I've been really in tune with what I need. And and I don't mean in a selfish kind of way. I mean in the way that in order for me to live a life of excellence and a life that honors God, part of that includes taking care of the physical vessel that he's placed my spirit in. And that just wasn't something, I don't know if it was just I wasn't raised with that in mind or... I didn't see that modeled for me, but it's been something that God has drawn my attention to quite a bit over the last few years. And a big part of that is first acknowledging that I have needs and and that it's okay to have them. And then identifying what exactly they are and then being able to communicate that to the people in my life. That, That was a big turning point for me. Because I would find that either I would just ignore them completely or I would grow frustrated that other people Mm. weren't meeting my needs. But people can't meet your needs if they don't know what they are. And Mm. it starts with self-awareness. And so for me, a big part of me taking these retreats is acknowledging that I'm not a machine. I'm a human Mm. and I need these times away. And it, it helps to have the weekly Sabbath day, whatever that looks like in your life. But sometimes you do. You need to get out of your own physical space and go somewhere where you're a little bit off kilter in a good way because it does. It it, it invites you into a place where 
you can be refreshed and allow God to lead you into what he knows you need, but you may not be able to identify it when you're in the hustle and bustle of your everyday life. Mm, That's good. So I'd love to hear, you know, this is something that you mentioned that you've learned mostly in the last couple of years. I would love to hear some of your relational history and maybe a significant relationship in your life where you've maybe you've noticed these tendencies and it has harmed the relationship. Yeah. You know, I know that a big part of your podcast and your blog is about navigating through life without a built-in teammate. And Mm. I was navigating through my life actually with a teammate. I had a teammate for 15 plus years, really my entire adulthood up until just a few years ago. So I was married and we had three children and we were living life as we thought life would be led. And things were fine until they weren't. And a number of years ago, my husband and I just made some bad choices. We're human, we're broken. And I think what what I have found is that when you don't deal with your stuff, it deals with you <laughs> later in life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I teach people a lot, my own children, my spiritual children, other people that I mentor, is that in life, you're always going to pay a price. The question is not whether or not you're going to pay a price. The question is, when are you going to pay it? And you can choose Mm -hmm. to pay it now or you can defer payment. But if you defer payment, there will always be interest. And usually that interest is backwards and sideways and upside down. And Mm -hmm. you're paying it in ways that you didn't even anticipate. And you know, that obviously applies to real life finances, but it applies to relational things. It applies to inner healing and emotional wounds and things like that. And so I think that's really what happened. We got to the place where stuff hadn't been dealt with from our own individual lives before meeting each other. And it culminated into a not great situation. And we ended up in a situation where he didn't feel like he could work on the reconciliation aspect of the marriage. And so I was devastated. I I know we hear that term hitting rock bottom, but I really did. And not to be dram- overly dramatic about it, but I really felt like the constructs in my life had been knocked out from under me. Because basically from the time that I was 20, I had been married and been a mom and and that's the life that I knew. And I wouldn't have said, if you had asked me then, is this your identity? I wouldn't have said that it was, but a huge part of my life was focused on those two roles. And all of a sudden, 15 years, 16 years later, it now wasn't there. That wasn't, that was no longer what I could identify with. And I hit rock bottom and I really didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what the quote right thing to do was as a Christian. I prayed about it. I sought spiritual direction and counsel. I asked friends. I was so disoriented. And finally, after asking all kinds of questions and even praying, asking them in prayer, I remember, I want to say I was at Target. I was just kind of going about my day, just trying to function. And I remember having this inner dialogue with God. And I was saying, you know, what should I do? Do I file for divorce? Does he have a right to file for divorce? Is this even right? I mean, just all these questions. And I just felt like 
the Holy Spirit just inside of me, not audible, but just had said, hold on a second. You've got a lot of questions, but before we answer those, you need to get a few things straight in your heart. Either I'm God or I'm not, and either I'm good or I'm not, and either I'm for you or I'm not. But until you settle those things in your heart, none of your other questions really matter. And I was stunned. I was, it was literal, like mouth dropped open. What did, what just happened? And I thought to myself, well, duh, don't I believe that? Don't I believe that you're God and that you're good and that you're for me? And it was just silent. And I thought, well, you don't tend to ask questions that you don't have the answer to. So clearly I'm the one that doesn't know the real answers. And so just as a confession of my faith, I said, okay, you are God and you are good and you are for me. And then he answered me again, not audibly, but in my heart. And he said, okay, then stand for your marriage and let's stop talking about this. And I thought, what does that mean? (laughs) I don't. Okay. Thank you for the answer. But what do I, what do I do? So of course I did what anybody does. I Googled it. What does it mean to stand for your marriage? And I found some, some great resources online, some helpful things some helpful direction, but ultimately what it came down to was recognizing that 15 years prior, I had taken a vow and it wasn't just with a man, it was with God. And that, that vow with all of the things that were said on that day, ultimately it was through all these things, but till death do us part. And so that as long as one or the other of us was still alive, that covenant, that vow was still in place. And that the the biggest shift, I think the paradigm shift in my mind was that, oh, this marriage thing is in a contract that says, if you don't fulfill your end, I don't have to fulfill mine. It's actually a covenant, which means we are bound until death. And as long as we're still here, I'm still bound. I don't know what you're doing on your end of the deal, but but this is still my commitment to God. And what I have found is that this, because I understand that people have different stories. And so this isn't, this isn't actually a story about should you or should you not get divorced? Is God... Mm-hmm pleased or not pleased with you. That's actually not what the story is about. The story is about sometimes God calls us into things that are really hard. And if we will choose to trust him and walk in obedience to the call, even when we don't understand it, even when we don't have other models or examples of it, even when we've never seen it done before, if we will be obedient, he will be faithful. And that's really what my story is. It's about the faithfulness of God as I navigate going from having a life with a built-in teammate to now living a life fully and wholly embracing who God has called me to be without that teammate. And for me personally, I believe that God has called me to a place where on paper through the courts of man, we're divorced And so in the everyday life, I'm a single mom and I'm a single person, but I don't position myself in the way that maybe another single person would in that I don't date. I choose not to date. I don't position myself in places where I could experience a level of compromise because for me, the higher calling for me is not necessarily the marriage relationship, but really that this man is a Christian 
And so what I know is that beyond our time on earth, he and I are going to be brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity. And so my call is to continue to pray for him and to pray for God's redemption and restoration in his life, as well as in our relationship and in our family's relationship. And so that's that's what that looks like for me. And so kind of circling it back to your question, going into a place of trauma like that, I had to focus on basically surviving and not necessarily thriving. And I had to focus on getting myself to a place of wellness so that I could care for my children. And so a lot of times that means putting my own needs on the back burner just to make it through each day. So God in his mercy and grace has carried me through that over the last five to six years. But I think last year it kind of came to the head of where like, okay, now it's time to take care of you a little bit more. And so that's where those quarterly retreats kind of came from was like, oh yeah, I, I can step away now and I can take care of myself and focus on myself for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how the body does that where it's like you're ignoring all of this other stuff and the body's like, no, we have to stop. Yes. We must stop or I am going to stop us because we cannot keep doing this. And that's exactly what happened. And so the quarterly retreats, I take them because they're on my calendar, not necessarily when I feel like I need them Mm. because what ends up happening is I'm never going to feel like I need them and then I'm going to crash. And that's what we're trying to avoid. We are trying to avoid crash landings every time I need to take a break. Yeah. I would love to hear a little bit about the role that your community has kind of played in all of that. Maybe some things that were helpful, some things that were not helpful, and just how you've navigated transitioning being in community as you know, someone who is married, living with a partner, and now as a single mom. You know, I think that I have found community in very personal ways that I I wouldn't have thought before. I was a part of a church. Now, obviously, with the pandemic, that's a that's a totally different conversation. Um, sure. But I was in a church, and I know that there were people that genuinely desired to love me and care for me through that season of time, but just didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that because I'm somebody who had been a part of a church community for the majority of my marriage, I was on the meals ministry. We would help moms with new babies. We would help people who had lost their spouses. We just knew how to care for those situations. And when I was going through my separation or divorce, what I realized was, oh, people don't know how to help you. They Mm -hmm. don't understand that regardless of the reason even if they view their situation as being a good thing that they're separating or getting a divorce, it is still the death of something. And so what I found was that people didn't know how to support me. I don't believe it came from a place that they didn't want to. It was just that unless you've been through something like that yourself and you know what it's like, you don't know how to support that person. Mm -hmm. And so what I found was, oh, if I had lost my husband to death, people would know how to help me. They would mm-hmm. offer to bring me meals. They would ask if I needed help driving my kids around. They would mm-hmm. come and do my laundry, you know, just 
different tangible, practical ways to surround somebody who's grieving. But people that are going through separation or divorce or a loss that is not death, oftentimes we don't know how to support them. And so Mm. what I felt in those moments was I did, I felt so alone and I felt so not cared for, not because I didn't think people wanted to, they just didn't know how. Mm. And what was so bizarre is that when you're in trauma like that, you're actually functioning at half your capacity, even probably less. And yet I had gone from having a teammate to not having one. So I'm functioning at half my capacity with double the work. And I don't think people put two and two together that like, Hey, I, I could use a meal. <laughs> I, yeah. I could I could use some help. I could use a companion. You know, one of the more jarring things about that scenario for me was that I had a built-in date for Friday nights every week right. for 15 years. And then I went to like, oh, I don't have anybody here. And at the time, my children were in high school. And so they had football games to attend or they had work. So I was home alone. And I had to turn on all the lights and the TV because the silence was so deafening. Mm. And so I just think that some of the things that were helpful for me was having people that just straight out asked me, how can I best support you? What isn't helpful, I think, is when people say, just call if you need anything. People are never going to (laughs) call because Mm. they're drowning in whatever they're going through that more likely than not, they're not going to have the wherewithal to call. Yeah. But having somebody say, how can I best support you? It forces you, the person in the trauma, to think through, yes, what are my needs? It kind of goes Mm. back to what we talked about earlier that, oh, I have needs. Let me first acknowledge that I have them and that it's okay to have them. And then I need to identify what they are. What do I need? Do I need a meal? Do I need a companion? Do I need just Uh, you know, a rom-com, what do I need right now? Do I just need a walk with somebody? And so having somebody say, how can I best support you was very helpful. I also had a friend who had walked through a similar situation and she had said, you know, I know that you feel like this pain is going to swallow you whole. And so what I did was I would give myself 20 minutes a day. I know this seems extreme, but it was helpful. She said, I would give myself 20 minutes a day and I would set my timer and I would go into my closet and I would just bawl my eyes out. Mm. And then when the timer would go off, I would wipe my face and get up and go on with my day. And just having that practical permission to say, yes, I'm in pain. I acknowledge the pain that I'm in, but I am also working full-time, paying bills. In that case, I had children at home that I had to take care of. I had to cook dinner. There were so many things I had to do that it was such a healthy balance between you know, not being in bed for an untold period of time or just completely ignoring the pain and pushing through it and, and just doing, doing, doing. And so that was really helpful. Yeah, I feel like there's so many different kinds of loss and and grief and trauma that a person can experience that, like you said, if someone hasn't experienced it, it's hard to even have a picture of what that reality is. Speaking of community and having people around you, you mentioned earlier in our conversation having kids but also having spiritual children. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about 
maybe some of those relationships, what those relationships look like and how that became part of your life that you're even thinking about the spiritual family and having spiritual children. Yeah. So a number of years ago, my husband and I actually had an outreach to high school students. It kind of came out of a unique situation where we had a home church and some of the other people in that church had teenage kids. And it was like, well, you're not in kind of a traditional church setting where there's a youth ministry. What do we do with the kids? And so I was one of the younger people in that group. And I thought, well, I guess I could meet with them. And so it ended up being this weekly meeting that we had every Sunday from five to seven in our home. But I think God used that season of time to really plant the seed in my heart and such a passion for young people. And really what it's become is not just young in age, but also young in their faith. Because I think back to when I was that age as a young adult, um, not necessarily high school, but young adult in your 20s, even in your 30s, or if you're just new in your faith, I think back about the people that had an impact on me and what I needed at the time. And what I really needed was spiritual mothering. And so for me, I can point to a few people in my life that have mentored me and mothered me in my faith, both in real life practical ways and then in ways that they have no idea. Like I mentioned Beth Moore. I mean, she's had such an impact on on my faith and and the way that Mm -hmm. I approached the word. And so just seeing that in my own life and the effect of that, that has just always been an area of, I guess we'll call it ministry, but just an area where I feel called to, to really help people with that. And for me, that has manifested in different ways. Some of them are friends of my own children. I have biological children and then they just have friends. And so, you know, they come over and we have these chats and it ends up, you know, they end up getting a little sermon in the kitchen. They think they're coming over (laughs) for pizza. They end up asking me a question and I end up, you know, preaching to them in, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in ways. And, but also in my job, one of the roles that I get to do with Hope Writers is I just get to meet with people. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I love about my job is that I get to remove barriers and I get to clear paths for people. And I find Mm -hmm. that that's what I love doing both at work and in real life. And so what ends up happening is that these people call me or schedule Zoom calls with me or whatever that is. And so I'm affectionately known as Mama Hayden. And at Hope Writers, I'm known as Clarity Carla. And so they just, Mm -hmm. when people feel like, you know, I could use a little bit more clarity here or how would I go about doing that? They just schedule time with me. And so I just get to meet with people and help clear paths and remove barriers for them. I love that. And I love that way that your gifts could kind of match up with the need of your community and your church and now even the needs of the people that you interact with as part of your job. Absolutely. Well, we are running short of time, so I have just a couple last baby questions. The first being, you know, speaking of your work and what you do, where can people find you on the interwebs? Yes. Well, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is 
underscore just underscore passing underscore through. And so I like to share snippets of my story and my people and my favorite things there. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook, so all the places. Fantastic. And last but not least, will you tell me one thing that's hard right now and one thing that's great? It's actually the same thing. So at the time of this recording, I am preparing for major surgery that is going to put me in a place of recovery for six to eight weeks. I'm going to be physically unable to help myself. Mm. So again, going back to some of the lessons that I'm learning is to allow other people in and to let them share in my burdens and my distresses. Mm -hmm. And so even though facing major surgery is hard and scary, the thing that is great is that God is using other human beings to help meet my needs. And he's healing a lot of places in me, fear of rejection and fear of abandonment by just really practical ways, people signing up to bring me meals, people sending me books to read while I'm convalescing, Mm -hmm. people commenting on my social media posts, telling me that they're praying for me. And so that's what I'm experiencing. That's what's hard and what's great right now. Love it. Thank you so much for being here, Carla. It's been so lovely hearing your story and your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. You can follow Carla on Instagram at underscore just underscore passing underscore through. Registration for Hope Writers is open January 21st through the 29th. It has by far been the best resource for taking my writing career to the next level. To learn more about Hope Writers, head to marybsaferit.com backslash hope. Unsuitable with Mary B. Saferit is produced by Ashley Hong. Andrew Kim is our sound engineer, and our theme music is by Chad Rollinson. That's all for now. Catch you on the flippity-flop.